0: Okay, guys, we're ready to get started. Good morning. We are going to start with announcements this morning, and I don't have very many. But for this first announcement, I need you to get your phone out. So the first announcement is that on July 4th, we will not meet here at the GDAC. We will meet at the ranch. We've changed that. So we're not meeting at North Lakes Park anymore. We're going to meet at the ranch on July the 4th. 11 o'clock and we're going to do a cookout and we're going to do a communion service. So we want everybody to join us there. The reason you need your phone is because we haven't had very many people RSVP and we really need you to do that so that we can have the right amount of food. So if you haven't already rsvp do that on your phone right now. And um, that way we can make sure we have enough uh, meat, especially. So the church is going to provide the meat and the paper goods, and then there's a sign-up when you RSVP for the other miscellaneous things that we need people to bring for that. Okay? Does anybody have any questions about that? Yes. Oh, sorry. It's on the Denton North um, DentonNorth.com backslash... DentonNorthChurch.com backslash cookout. No, slash cookout. Sorry. DentonNorthChurch.com slash cookout. There we go. That's where you can RSVP. Yes. Is that same thing? We haven't added the food yet. Oh, I thought we had. Sorry. Because we don't have a good number of who's coming. Yeah. Then we'll do a sign up when we know how much of everything we need. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. It's just a slash, Justin. Just put the slash. Pick one. If that one doesn't work, try the other. (laughs) We have had lots of arguments about what is a forward and backward slash. So we've chosen not to use that language anymore, just slash. Okay, second announcement is we have a meal train for the Bristos to help them as they're adjusting to life with baby Jude. And so if you've not signed up for that meal train already, that link is in the newsletter. It is also on Facebook. Is it on the Denton North North website? No. Okay, so just in the newsletter or on Facebook, you can find that link. And if you need help finding it, if you can't find it, ask me after, and I'll show you where it is. And then this one is just a mark your calendar for July 25th from 630 to 830. There will be an all-churches event that is a pool party and an ice cream social. It's going to be in Plano, And it's going to be a lot of fun. So you don't want to miss that. So put that on your calendar. And then the details are in the newsletter. So every detail you could ever want to know about that is there, as well as a link that lets you see the park we're going to be going to and how cool it is. Yes, how very cool it is. A cool pool, if you will. Okay. And then last, I just wanted to let you guys know, we've mentioned this before, but not in a couple of weeks. But Garrett's gonna be um, helping us some on staff, and that's gonna start in July. So he's gonna start being with us some on Sundays in July, as well as Erica and the kids. So uh, welcome them in. But I've heard several people say that they felt like this was really sudden. And so I just wanted to let you guys know that this was not sudden for the staff. We've been talking about this for probably six months or more. Um, But it wasn't something because Garrett was transitioning from focus to adult ministry. It wasn't something that we could, like, broadcast and talk about a lot um, until that decision was made final. So know that it wasn't sudden. We've been praying about it for a while. And then Garrett knows our body well because he's been in charge of Denton Focus. He knows a lot of people at our church Um, He knows a lot about um, what goes on in our church, and so that's going to be a benefit to us. And he's going to be transitioning off focus, but not totally off focus. So he'll be working at the Collin campus as well as giving us some time here. And he'll only be with Denton North about 10 or 15 hours a week. And the things he'll be doing are meeting with some of the men in the church. He'll be preaching some. So that'll give us a pretty um, robust rotation for preaching between Brad and Garrett and Josh and myself. And then he'll help us with larger church vision. So we'll be thinking through our mission and vision um, he'll be doing some helping us come up with some leader training, just different things like that. So it's a pretty unique opportunity um, that he'll what we see right now is that he'll probably be with us for about a year. But if God says differently during that time, then God says differently and we'll follow what he says. But that's kind of the plan for right now. And that's all the announcements I have. So if you, oh, also, I guess I should say, if you have any questions about Garrett coming on staff, please see me or Josh. We'll be happy to talk with you about that and answer any questions.
1: Good morning. morning. Before we get started, we forgot something really important because we didn't know it was going to happen, but baby Everett is here. So he's so cute. You guys did such a good job. Well done. (laughs) So how many of you guys, oh, I'm going to take this off. How many of you guys, by show of hands, have seen the movie Titanic? Okay, sweet. All right, so worse than I thought. Okay. That's not good. All right. Well, let's read James. So today we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I should just take a note on who not to hang out with. That's why I did that. Okay, there we go. Brenda's cool, guys. Totally cool. James chapter 1. We're going to be hanging out in James chapter 1, t- verses 12 through 18. Sorry, Sammy. You, like, walked right into it, too. You are so, you are like, yo, dude, love that. Yeah. I was, too. Man. So we're going to be focusing on this section today, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read it real quick. And like last time, I'll just say that, um, that I'm in the CSB translation, so if, if that frustrates you and you're like, man, what is he in? just want you to know that. So, Verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I'm going to say a short prayer. Lord, help us to hear your voice in these verses. um, And please help us to hear something specific for our community this morning. Speak to our hearts as individuals. Speak to us as a group. um, And uh, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would help this not only to be something that we understand, that we take something from, but it goes with us over the next weeks and months and, and onward, that we are changed by your word. Um, Lord, just help us to hear you. Help us to quiet our own thoughts and our own voices, and just to hear yours, and um, help us as, it, as a, the most challenging part is to then follow what we hear and what we learn. In your name I pray, amen. So just to remind you guys, uh, last week, Leslie preached about kind of the first section of chapter one, um, and some of the key points were really just about enduring trials, and God shaping us and growing us through those trials, something that James talks really strongly about, and then kind of mentions quite a bit throughout the rest of the book. Um, and the start of this section is him kind of transitioning from that point. So, uh, in verse 12, when he talks about enduring the trials because... When one has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. This is kind of James, like transitioning away from talking about that into a new topic, but um, he does that very quickly, very short little transition there. Um, and I think that is a perfect. It's kind of wa- one of the reasons why I wanted to stay uh, not too far away from what Leslie preached about last week, because I really felt like this this worked well as a follow up to that. So. Um, the next section, verses 13 through 15, is where he talks about sin, and, and your Bible might actually have it broken up in the same way, the way it breaks up the paragraphs, and then verses 16 through 18 talk about God being someone who gives us good gifts, and so um, one thing I want to take note of, I think is really cool, I'm not going to talk a ton about it, but you'll notice at the end of verse 15, as it talks about um, desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. When sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And then down at the end, when it talks about, in verse 18, God gives us birth birth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. I love how James does that kind of play of birth and birth. One of the things gives birth, but ultimately leads us to death. And then what God gives us, gives birth to life. So I'm not going to talk a ton about that, but I just wanted to note that while we're going because I just thought it was too cool. It's one of those things that I think only really comes about when you read something over and over. That just did not jump out to me the first couple times I read James, and maybe it did to you guys, but I think that's something that's so cool about the scripture. The more we read it, the more things will jump out to us. Different things hit us at different times, either because of the season in our life that we're in, or because we're just paying better attention. Who knows? So, um, I decided to do something crazy this week and have points to my sermon, to have some points to it. So, never been done. Um, The first point is that good things and only good things come from God. So we should be grateful. Um, And in this this short section, there's actually three ways that James shows that God gives us good things. And he packs it in really closely. But the first is that God himself does not change. Think about how good that is. Nothing and no one else is like that. Everyone, everything changes. I change, you change. And certainly some of those things are good. But having something that is dependable, that will not change, we cannot find it, especially when we want it, you know. The fact that we're told that God does not change, like shifting shadows, is, is really, really good. He's the only constant and dependable thing. The second way is that he created everything. God created the world, and he said it was good. All good things come from him, and that's what he wanted the world to be like. He wanted the world to be good. And that's how the world would still be if we hadn't tried to take charge of it. We meaning Adam and Eve. But, so I think then it's important to remember that this is still the world that God created. So the good things in it are from him. They are the things that he created. So he gets credit for that, and we, um, that's, there's a lot to be grateful for in that, in that regard. And then the third good thing is that he gives us new life and rebirth through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. So I left out just in that little section... And he says, every good and perfect gift come from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change. By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so it would be the kind of first fruits of his creatures. Um, James is not a rambler. He's packing a lot into these short verses that um, I think we can really sit with and and take a lot from. So, there are lots of places elsewhere in scripture where it talks about how good God is and that he gives us only good things. So one of the ones that jumped out to me was Psalm 84. Um, And this is a pretty familiar one to many of us, I think, but better is a day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than live in the tents of wicked people. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Happy is the person who trusts in the Lord you, the Lord of armies. And then also in um, Matthew, we see another verse like this, which I think is a good one to reference because it's pretty evident that James um, really held on to the words of Jesus and that affected what he wanted to write in his letter to, to us. So in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, we're all familiar with this one as well, I think. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door, will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Um, this, I think, for me, one of the reasons that this stuck out to me is that it's something I've had a hard time with. Um, I don't really think of God that way. These are the things that don't come to mind for me first as a believer, especially when I was younger as a believer. But I would be, uh, to be honest, I don't think I've made a lot of progress on that. It's not the first things I think about with God. I don't know why that's the case. It's much easier for me to notice and point out downsides and shortcomings of either myself or people around me or just the world. There's plenty there. It's easy to point out. Um, it is so much easier for me to do that than to think about and give thanks for the good things that God has done for me, has done for the world, uh, the people he's put in my life. And so um, that's, that's one reason I think this is just a really good point for us to think about today. Um, a few years into my time with the humanitarian ministry that I worked for, for about five years, um, an older gentleman named John transferred to started working with us. And he had, uh, he was in his 70s, he'd spent 50 years in ministry, just think about that, it's a long time, and he spent 20 of those years as a missionary in Kenya. He would often tell lots of stories about his glory days, things he'd do, like running up Mount Kilimanjaro and stuff, he'd talk about it fondly, like, like that was a normal thing that people did, <laughs> and, um, and he talked about, like, the only reason I would do that now is because I'm old, and it's like, well, also, Kilimanjaro is way on the other side of the world, but, uh, but then, you know, now by the time he transferred to the organization I worked with, he was older, slower, he got tired more quickly, he had medical problems, so a really different time of his life. But somehow, about 90% of everything that ever came out of his mouth was gratitude, like in a kind of weird way. It, it, really, it kind of irked me because I often was stressed and focused on the things I hadn't done yet, projects wise and stuff. And when someone's trying to be really grateful around you, and you're kind of determined not to be grateful, Boy, is it annoying. And so uh, I often felt like he was from another planet, and I wanted to say something like, I don't know where you come from, but down here there is tons to complain about. (laughs) So there was one particular day where his gratitude kind of cut through my callous, battle-scarred heart. Um, We were in Zimbabwe several days into a trip of water, well drilling, and agriculture projects in this community there. And just to clarify, I didn't do any of that cool stuff. I just took pictures of the people doing it and took videos, okay? So I don't get much credit. But we finished a long, hot, sweaty day, and we were riding back to where we were staying. It was a long ride, and the roads were, you know, bumpy and and all of that stuff. And everyone's either dozing off because they're tired or just enjoying the quiet, the silence, the opportunity to be off of your feet and just not have to do anything. (laughs) And I'm sitting behind John, and halfway through the car ride, I hear him just quietly sigh to himself and say, Wow, what a beautiful day. He's just looking out of the windshield, what he can see from the, that's not covered by dust because we're driving on a dirt road. And just, it was just boom, like this genuine purity of his gratitude just cut through to me because no one was listening to him. He was not trying to convey any message. It was just this genuine moment of talking to himself that he probably thought no one else would hear and it i don't know why it affected me so much but it was it it was like almost just as significant as whatever bell did to make the beast not be the beast in and beating the beast anymore <laughs> i haven't seen that in a while so i don't remember the details but something like that and it and it stood out to me because not because john was like in this situation of like he's so brave for being grateful in the face of like imminent death or anything like that it was this very mundane moment of all the things that had happened that day but it was also much more convincing to me because I was like, why am I not like that? Like, it's not like I have to really look and see. That's so, that seems so hard. It didn't seem that hard, but it was very genuine. And, um, and I also was like, and did I not just witness people getting, like, a sustainable source of water for the first time? And, like, food, a sustainable source of food and agriculture? And that was so easily kind of lost on me. Like, I was just tired and grumpy. And his, his ability just to be grateful in the, in the midst of that, to me, has really stood out. It's one of the funnier stories about that, but there's plenty of quirkiness that he, he has that I'll tell you more stories later. But I, I just have to think from that that uh, we have to work to be grateful to God, at least to start. I don't think we end up accidentally being somebody like John. Um, I think it takes a lot of work and takes actual purposeful trying. I don't think we accidentally be that way, okay? Um, and with how often we're told that good things come from God, it's kind of a wonder to me why it, it's so hard for us to be that way and be positive and be grateful. So I want us to try that now. I'm just going to give you like one minute just to write down three things that you feel like God places on your heart to be grateful for. It could be a person in your life, could be something simple like shelter, etc. What things come to mind for you that you want to be grateful for today, and just drop those down, um, and I'll just give you a silent moment. So I would say try that, try making that a a thing as part of your life on the regular. Don't just have your prayer time be something where you ask um, things that you're frustrated. I think those are really good things to bring to God, but I think it is hugely important for us to take time to be grateful Uh, during our time with the Lord. He's already given us these things, um, or these people, or whatever it is. And so, gratitude, that's kind of the summary of my first point. Um, I think in this chunk of James, the way that he he does this is sort of a sandwich. The sin section's in the middle. The way I kind of ended up thinking about this was backward, because I wanted to put the gratitude part first. But, so now we're gonna go to my second point, which is we should take sin very, very seriously and root it out ruthlessly. I'm going to read that section about sin again. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then, after sin is conceived, it gives birth to sin. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Now, I really don't think that we often blame God for our sin in quite this exact way. At least I don't do it that way. I'm much more roundabout in the ways that I um, blame God for stuff. But I do think it's worth putting what James just said in more plain language, that God is never intentionally putting us in danger of sin. Never. He's never doing that. So remember that God is good, which we just talked about, and sin is bad. So it should be maybe a little more obvious to us that those things do not mix. <laughs> God's not going to be trying to, to entice us with some sin, okay? Um, and But I do think, well, at least when I read this, I usually think, oh, I never do that. It's my first thought. I'd rather move on to the other parts of James that seem a little more appropriate for me. But I think what he's saying here is a little bit more, uh, a little less focused on where what we're trying to do with God, and more focused on sin specifically. Um, and what I, what I do know is that myself, and, and I'm pretty sure all of you included, will blame almost anything else for our sin before we realize that it starts here, if we ever do. I'm sure there's many of us, uh, myself included, who have not realized certain sins that start here first. So um, I think that's more important about James's point here, is that we will blame other things for our sin before we finally realize that it starts in our own hearts. I think it's also purposeful that James places this so quickly after his points about enduring trials and hardships. You know, it's like that he talks about the hard things we experience and how we, what our attitude should be through those. And then he talks a little bit about sin. And I think it's it's purposeful because it'd be so easy for after hard, difficult things we experience, trials, et cetera, to turn towards sin. I think James knows that about our human condition. Um, and so, uh, and and also I think those trials... And hardships are perfect scapegoats for our sin. It's so much easier to be like, well, I've had a really hard day. Had a really hard week, month, year, decade, whole first 28 years of my life have been hard. And all those decisions we make, the ways we respond to the hard things, that's not our fault, right? We can't be blamed for that. But I think it's it's, um, James reminding us that we are the ones that are responsible for how we respond and act to those trials. In situations, or in maybe they're not even responses, they're just, you know, sin in our hearts. But I think uh, he is driving that point home more strongly than the about being tempted by God. It's just that we have to recognize where sin really does come from, and it is not from outside. Despite not having much control over the world, we don't, we have very little control over all the, you know, the hands that we're dealt, so to speak, in a lot of ways. We have full control over how we respond and how we, what our attitudes are like, um, what things we do with that. I think James is making that really clear. We definitely do have control over uh, ourselves if we want it. So um, I think I think it's clear that the way that we act from these trials um, and respond does not have to be sin. And I think our kind of seriousness that we take sin in our culture is kind of on the decline as a whole. Um, one of the commentaries I was reading said, <laughs> I thought this was funny, he, he was like, most of the time, I think the way we act about sin would be almost like rewriting the Lord's prayer instead of saying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. He, he wrote, like, we more think of it as like, forgive us our miscalculations as we forgive those who miscalculate against us. As if it's just these kind of slight little errors, like I kind of just a little bit didn't quite understand what you're saying and I made my own little mess up, and it's all fine. We just are all, well, the numbers will round out in the end, and I just loved that. I thought it was a pretty good way of putting it, especially how scientific our culture is. It's like, we're just a, a few numbers off, that's it. Um, so I have, I have three brothers, and out of all of us, I was the worst behaved um, kid. Yeah, who said really? I, I can't tell if you were like, oh, I knew that, duh, or if you are like, surprised. Okay, cool, I'll take it. Um, and so there's tons of stories there about me messing stuff up. But in the spirit of blaming our sin on other people, I'm going to tell a story about my younger brother instead of me. And so we were in Houston one summer, uh, and if you've ever been to Houston in the summer, you know how humid it is, and you don't quite walk anywhere as much as you just swim there. But that's not relevant to the story. I just can't miss a chance to dog on Houston. So um, we were there visiting family. My younger brother was probably around four or so he was very cute, like the kind of cute that my, my parents had a really hard time getting mad at him when he did do something wrong because he would react so purely and strongly they would have to try not to laugh, all that stuff that I'm sure I'm going to have to deal with as a dad one day. But we were all downtown waiting outside of, uh, I think, Starbucks or something while my aunt was getting a drink. And my younger brother Judah was so bored and, and started getting that kind of curious stage that he started getting a little bit too close to the street. And so my parents then told him not to go past the fire hydrant to give him a buffer between him and traffic. And after a few more minutes, my parents looked over and Judah had crept all the way to the curb, very close to traffic. And my mom jumped up, ran over and grabbed him and she immediately started disciplining him and saying like, Judah, why did you do that? I told you not to go that close to the street, why? And he responded, my bones made me do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I just thought, that story has like been famous in our family for a long time. Is that not so, like, the Adam and Eve kind of response? Like, the snake gave me the fruit and made me, you know, convinced me to do it. Or the woman you put here made me eat the fruit. But I just love that in his desperation, without anything else to blame it on, he blamed his own, like, anatomy. (laughs) Like, he's like, "Mm, my bones. Um, And I think if we're honest, most of our excuses about sin are about as good as Judah's, you know? It's like, well, just my bones. And remember, sin is deadly serious, and yet we have these kinds of like, pretty dumb excuses about it. You know, And that's a funny story. I'm not trying to like, make it seem like we shouldn't joke about it. But um, just we have to remember that sin is deadly. It is like a terminal illness, especially with how severely it's talked about in this passage from James. And we really don't treat it that way a lot of the time. We treat it as a thing to kind of keep at bay a little bit, maybe, um, try to just manage it in a lot of ways. But we really don't treat like an illness. And which of you, if you were told that you had a terminal illness, would ignore it, or not just ignore it? But which of you would then introduce more of it into your body? You know. And I think that that's that's what we're we're told here in James is just how severe sin is. Sin causes death, but it's worse than just death. It is the worst kind of death. It is eternal death, and we're told that we know it. It's not like the times before they put the label on the cigarette packages and people didn't know. We know this about sin. Um, And how seriously, I want you to think for just a second, how seriously do you take sin? Do you confess sin on a regular basis? And how often do you do that? And when you do confess, do you make some changes? Do you repent? Not being a totally different person the next day, but I mean, are are you taking those steps? Later in James, and chapter 5, um, I was looking for just other verses about confessing sin, and I loved it. I was like, oh, sweet. There's one in, in chapter 5, in James. In um, five sixteen, he says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And then in 1 John 1, 7 through 10, he says, If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is one of the reasons that I think LTGs are so important in our community. It's not the only way to have a regular way of confessing your sin, but it's a really good one. Um, I've been an LTG for the past five-ish years almost, um, and it has been so huge. Nothing is better than having other people who aren't you um, ask you about your sin and ask you to confess it um, and have that be a regular part of your life and it'd be people that are also sinners, too. They can, you can relate to them. Um, but having that be a regular part and it's relational, there's all of that. I just cannot strongly enough suggest that you be part of something like that in your life, where you have a format that makes you have to talk about your sin and have people hold you accountable about just repenting, even. Not just confessing it, but seeing, tracking your, your movements, tracking your ability to... Does this seem louder than normal? Okay, yeah. yep, got it. Um, and so I just want to, s- to say that that is something I think that we should all have in our lives. If, you don't have, if you're not an LTG, and we've plugged that a lot, um, something like that is hugely important. I just don't think that, in my experience as a follower of Jesus, it's something that I do on my own. I need other people. Um, that's, that's the only thing that works for me. My third point is that one of God's clearest, overarching motivators, is wanting eternal life for anyone who loves him. Now James starts this section with that. I, I wanted us to, to end here and have this be the last thing we talk about. Um, so that verse again is James 1, 12, and it says, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised for those who love him. I think this is one of the best reminders that we can burn into our brains and hearts about God. I mean, doesn't there have to be some main point to all of this? Some main thing that makes a lot of what God does and says make sense? I think sometimes we're a little bit wary of oversimplifying stuff, but um, one of the other places in Scripture that comes to mind for me about this um, is in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. This is a common one too that we, uh, many of us are probably a little bit familiar with. But don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self control in everything, they do it to receive a perishable crown. I like that specifically that Paul and James both use the word crown a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So that's the phrase that, that both Paul and James use is talking about the crown. That's a little bit tough, I think. It's not the most normal thing for us to think about. Um, but the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I think for some reason, we just, we just get a little bit too cautious about oversimplifying what God's doing and what he's trying to tell us. There's so much else in the Bible, there's so much work to be done here and now, we can't just only think and talk about eternal life, right? Seems like a little bit um, later on or something. And even God has more to talk about than just that in the Bible. But I believe that's true, but at the same time, I would argue that God's desire for eternal life for anyone who loves him, makes everything else make sense. Why would the severity of sin, why would sacrifice, why would God wanting to give us good things make any sense on their own, if it's just kind of killing time while we live these finite lives, Um, and while God goes out of his way to do lots of things for us, just so we die (laughs) and fizzle out? So to me, I think that this is the kind of thing that um, I don't know why, I kind of recoil a little bit at the idea of like a prize or a reward. I think partly because it makes me think of, of what I do here and now seeming a little bit just in order to get to get something. But I also know myself to be someone who needs a motivator. You know, I need something that actually um, is clear and in front of me that I can be striving toward. And um, I think that the Paul passage does that really well, that we run for something that is not perishable. We aim for something that is not um, just a fickle thing, but it's for something that's eternal. That should be a huge motivator for us. I also think it makes a huge difference in our own struggle to even follow Jesus because um, if we're just following him, we just use that phrase a lot. It's like, where are we following him to? Like, what are we, where are we going? What are we going for? It makes it hard to even know where we are. So I think just recognizing that like, oh yeah, there, there is this motivator behind all of that. Um, it's eternal life with, with God. And that makes his love for us make any sense at all. And it makes it something worth striving for. I mean, it's a life or death thing that we are living this life for following Jesus about. It's life or death. So I want you to think with me just for a second. Because I think this is where I get kind of stuck on some of this, about even thinking about much eternal life. Um, I don't know if you guys are the same way, but God really, really does love you. And not because of anything you have or haven't done yet. All the stuff that he did and wrote in the Bible all happened before any of us existed, so we have a pretty clear record on that. And he wants you to have a full, good, and eternal life with him. Do you actually believe that? Think for a second. Do you really believe that he loves you? Because he really does. Just let yourself sit with that for just a second. He really wants you in eternity with him. And I think that's something that um, makes this whole section kind of make sense as well. That's what God's main motivator is, so James puts that first. And then talking about what really gets us down, what really risks our death, our, um, the chance of us not spending eternity with, with God is ourselves. It's sin right here. Um, not staying focused on what God has for us. And then the reminder of, of being grateful. Um, that Every good thing, not just eternal life, but the good things we experience now here on earth come from God. So just to recap some of the main points, good things and only good things come from God. So let's be grateful to him. I think that's a better start. Sometimes for me, if I think just about sin first, uh, I never get to being grateful (laughs) because I started thinking about all the things that are wrong with me. Second point, to remind you, we should take sin very seriously and take steps to root it out ruthlessly. And the third one, just do not forget that God really loves you and he really wants eternal life for you. I thought a good thing to close things out would be to read this same passage, but in the message. Some of you may have already done that, um, but I just thought we'd take the exercise to um, see how different translations take some of these passages. So I'll give you a second if you want to switch over to that on your phone, if you're a phone Bible person. Anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. For such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Don't let anyone under pressure to give in to evil say, God is trying to trip me up. God is impervious to evil and puts evil in no one's way. The temptation to give in to evil comes from us and only us. We have no one to blame but the leering, seducing flare-up of our own lust. Lust gets pregnant and has a baby. Sin. Sin grows up to adulthood and becomes a real killer. So, my very dear friends, don't get thrown off course. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down the Father of light. There is nothing deceitful in God, nothing two-faced, nothing fickle. He brought us to life using the true word, showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. God, help make this true in our lives. Help us to really take this in. Um, Whatever thing blocking any of our understandings about you or about this passage here for some of us it might be like me where I have a hard time being grateful and even believing that you um, really love me and want eternal life for me, others of us it might be the um, sin aspect and, and you have sin we have sin that we need to recognize is from us but Lord whatever it is please, please help us break down those barriers recognize what they are show us um, show us what they are and 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 just help us to move toward this more holistic picture of, of what we're being shown here in James. Um, it's not just to avoid sin. It's to get to spend eternal life with you, Lord. Lord, in our community, and our culture, um, obviously there's lots of changes that happen over time. And, and, um, and help us just to be people who don't get swayed one way or the other, God. Help us to really hear your voice and follow your Holy Spirit first. Um, Help us to be really good listeners to each other when we confess our sins, God. Help us to push each other on toward um, repentance, encourage each other. Help us to be there for each other and be a community. This is not something we can do on our own. I truly believe that. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for so many good things to think about. Um, it does not take long to have a pretty long list if we just let ourselves be grateful. So thank you, Lord. Amen. I don't know if there be, would be any questions about this, but I realize, I think, the last time I, I preached, I forgot to pause for any. So I wanted to give you guys time for any questions or just responses or thoughts, or if you want some clarification on something that I didn't do very clearly or a verse reference that you missed. I'll give you guys a couple minutes. That word, I guess. Yeah. yeah. That's a great question. I and mean, I'm glad you asked it to me in public. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great question. I think, I think it's hard to really describe well, but I, I just think what, at least what we can gain from this, is that we can know that God's desire is never for us to sin and that his motivation is never that way. So if there's a situation, the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil is such a tough one, but I think in the relatable every day, um, if there's ever a situation where we are very tempted, we can know that that is not from God and that, or at least that that outcome is not from him. So... You say, like, you yeah. Okay. I think we can know that with a lot of certainty. Um, and it's, it is maybe a fine line sometimes between like a trial, a hardship that will, as James says, improve us and help in- increase our faith. I think it can kind of feel like a fine line sometimes between that and like something that just causes us to fall into sin, but I think we can have um, a lot of confidence that, that there's nothing like that that comes our way that's from God that, that should make us respond that way. There's always a way out that is not sin uh, and that increases our faith, if that makes sense. Um, you could say the same about about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, even though it's kind of a curious thing and was it a real tree and why did he put it there and blah, blah, blah. It's that God wanted them to trust Him and to stick with what to trust that what He actually gave them and told them to do was good and enough. And that's the same that we experience now. And so we can choose to just believe that and trust God that what He already gives us is good and enough, and the situations that come our way don't have to lead us toward sin. Um, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it super neat and clear. But does that sort of give you okay? Good question. So, yeah, Shayla said basically that when we talk about how, man this is tough, um, how the hard things in our lives end up kind of leading us toward places of, of think, ex- excusing our sin away, that um, is it basically this path of we are choosing to be sort of hardened in our sensitivity towards sin, or do, is there another path that's sort of more the aware of our sin, sensitive to it, and not, not going there? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. so she said basically, this is this kind of funny? It's like I'm translating, you know? Yeah. Um, that one path is like humility when we're faced with something that causes us toward, like, to, to be tempted towards sin. That one path would be something like humility and the other path would be something like pride and that, or you could have probably add a few different words there, but the idea that any situation that comes our way is, has paths to, to it where we can humble ourselves and um, ask God to help us and it doesn't have to lead towards sin. But that's a good thought. Anything else? Anyone else just not want the awkwardness to end, just kind of wants it to last a little longer? That's how I feel. Oh, sweet, yes. Um, Kissed, Kissed, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, okay, John didn't kiss me in that story, when, but this, the same kind of transformation happened. The beast in me was turned into that like handsome, muscular man, so yeah, but no kissing. She actually just, she fell in love with him before the last rose petal film, and that's what proved that, just to like be historically accurate. Okay, <laughs> right. That's a good question. In this case, it's all very passive. He has no idea <laughs> that any of that happened in here. He was just he doing his own thing. That yeah, that's true. Wow, this analogy is helping all of us so much. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if there's no other. Oh, you, you, had, you had a comment, or that was it? you already said it. Okay, sweet. Yeah. 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 <laughs>